Space. The final frontier. Well, okay, not, not really. All right, uh, take two, take two. Here in the Mitten State, welcome to Code 47, bringing you all things Star Trek, spanning the quadrants, the best thing since the neutral zone. Hey gang, we're back again with the Code 47 podcast on the Secret Friends Unite podcasting network. I am Charlie Carden, your Trek Lord of West Michigan, fleet captain of the USS Grand Petoskey, here with my stalwart companions, the Fantastic K. Hello. Hi, how are you? We're doing delightful. And my steady Eddie, the guy that makes the engines do what the engines do, that would be Peter Stein. Peter. What's cracking? Warp cores. Hopefully not, actually. Ooh, yeah. You don't want to. You don't want to crack that to lithium. That's a. That's a real bummer. So this is episode ninety-eight. So crazy to me. I've been making uh, this show with uh, a variety of different guest hosts since the fall of of twenty twenty, since COVID times, the old COVID times, and we're about to hit our one hundredth episode. We have something very special coming up um, uh, in about a month from now that we're getting prepared for. I won't spoil the surprise, though. I'm not one hundred percent certain I didn't say something about it already, but I'm not going to say it again. So, uh oh, Kay, you're missing, and now you're back. Whoops. Speak again. I have a, I have a whiny dog. I have, a, oh, I have no. I'm with a four month old puppy right now, so I apologize oh to any listeners who randomly hear whining. Um, oh, okay, no, they just think they're going to die because they're in the other room. <laughs> no problem. Well, anyway, um, as always, we'd like to thank our stellar uh, stable of top tier patreons folks that make all the wonderful bonus content that you get to listen to like our great interviews um my uh cool program the facts of geek life where we talk about old tv shows todd and i talking about uh, old comics in the spinner rack uh that would be our bffs sean stella and henry nias and the fantastic missy merchant close personal friend of everybody here on the show our best buds are jamie and andy and we are just very grateful for you if you'd like to learn more about our Patreon, please visit the secretfriendsunite.com um, landing page on Patreon. That would be patreon.com slash secretfriendsunite and learn all about it. So we have a special news feature that just 10 minutes ago, Peter said, hey, I want to talk about this thing. Um, so I'm going to let you talk about that thing, Peter. Knock yes. it out. So I discovered today um, a slightly older news story, but it's not gotten a lot of traction. It's kind of fallen below the radar, obviously. Um, the, the video game that we talked about a while ago, Star Trek Resurgence, done by mm-hmm. folks from Telltale. Uh, well, it's not Telltale now, but it's the same people. Sure, sure. Um, is now going to release sometime next month. Um, it got pushed back from last year, and then they were dead quiet for a very long time, and then released a prequel comic over the last couple of months. And now right. we finally that have a not solid date, but we have a solid release month. Um, so something to look forward to, a post-Nemesis pre-Picard series uh, show set on a Centaur-class vessel. So it should be great. Right. I did it's read Spock, the... actually, yeah. if you see the, uh, the stuff. Right. So they got a voice actor to do a pretty good imitation of Leonard Nimoy. Oh, wow. So, I did I did end up uh, reading the comic. Uh, it didn't really blow me away. I don't even remember Leonard Nimoy being a part of it. 
So no, I'm. I, I guess. I guess. Maybe I, I get. Yeah. Yeah. I guess now I'm setting up. Yeah. The, uh, oh, the now I understand. Ship. So that you have okay. Context. For well, then I didn't care for the prequel. <laughs> I didn't oh, care for fine. the prequel to. The prequel to the postquill. So, I mean, I'll give it a go. I mean, you know, if it's if it's Telltale or or what was Telltale, which they make all the the big ones, The Last of Us, right? And they made like uh, the Walking Dead games, which I played Teacher a little bit of Batman, one of those. Game of Thrones, yeah, yeah. So they make the heavy hitters, right? So, Katie, have any input on Telltale games and stuff like that? Is that anything that grabs you? Um, I mean, I'm going to check it out for sure, just because it's Star Trek and it's a game. So, yes, please. Yes. Yeah. Right. There's, there's not a lot of uh, reverse commentary on that. What is it? So it's coming out next month. Do you have a date? They don't have a date. They said that they'll be releasing the exact date soon. Oh, that's always just, one of those like, right. Uh, great. <laughs> great opportunity to, to nudge it into the background. So anyway, well, cool. Well, we, month, so who knows? I would say, you know, stay tuned uh, to our social media and certainly to our discord. If you don't belong to that, because uh, when that kind of news comes out, that's where I, I tend to drop it. And I, I, I keep a pretty close eye on the kind of news. So anyway, cool. All right. Uh, moving out of the news into our regular segment one, we have two great episodes of Star Trek Picard to talk about. Um, so I'm going to elect Kay and her yippin' puppy dog to uh, tell us about Picard, Season 3, Episode 8, Surrender, not to the song by Cheap Trick, but do your thing. All right, so we have left off from Episode 7 where um, Vatic has taken over the ship and the Titan. She is threatening to execute uh, the bridge crew if Jack does not surrender. Um, which he does after they kill a lieutenant, after there's some kind of cat and mouse stuff that goes on with uh, mind games with Vatic and with Jack going back and forth. Uh, Jordy decides that he's going to break the partition between Data and Lore to try to see which one will succeed. Uh, luckily, spoilers, Data does, um, kind of by doing a pacifism, I'm going to slowly take you over from the inside where my memories are going to become your memories, and then... No one will be able to tell where you end and I begin. <laughs> so psychological. Uh, it, yeah, just sound of some psychological stuff. Worf and Raffi r- randomly show up on the strike. I didn't Warf remember them. Machina. Yeah, I yeah. didn't remember them going to the strike. So I was kind of confused where I was like, Worf, Worf. <laughs> great. Worf, is that you, Worf? Yeah. So, and then we end up finding out that there's something weird with Picard's corpse, which obviously we were kind of suspecting because. Right of everything that was going on. And it turns out that maybe he did not have the uh, disease that they thought he did. Eromotic syndrome. Yes. Eromotic syndrome. So um, this one, it was, it was interesting. Um, I was a little worried because it seemed like they were kind of doing an evolutionary theme throughout it, uh, that they were going to do some weird thing where like Jack was just, the evolutionary, you know, yeah, next human human gene yeah. thing. He's he's like, he's the he's an X man. He's you know mutant. mutant yeah. boy. I was like, please don't do that. Please don't do that. And it, they did not. So I was very very grateful with that. Um, mm. And it was good to see the whole like the whole crew getting back together again. That the band's cool. back together. Oh, I know. Yeah, the whole band's back together. So um, I did feel like again the weird situation with. Um, Riker and Troy just still seems very strange because it wouldn't be strange if we hadn't seen them in such good relationship in the first season. Right. Yeah. So it is very, very much. They're having so much conflict and they're talking about everything that happened when their son passed away, which was seven years, I think, before we saw them in season one. So now so almost like, a decade. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I was like, so what exactly is going, like, why are we bringing up all of the strife now? It seems like they could have figured out something else if they wanted there to be strife. I mean, I like, honestly, I liked the idea of that strife. Just mm-hmm. it kind of got ruined with the fact that we saw them in season one and everything was cool as far right. as we could tell. Right. So that was kind of the hang up. One of the biggest, you know, complaints, whatever it is, that people always said about the TNG cast uh, and why, you know, in later seasons we got a character like Ensign Rowe who came along and, you know, shook up the snow globe because she was, you know, so big and bad and all this different stuff is that they're very bland to use Todd Oxford's favorite expression. You know, there was no conflict. Everybody got along, yada, yada. Even, you know, when Worf acted Worfy, everybody was like, ha, ha, ha. And it was no big deal. Um but yeah, with Riker and Troy, and you know they're having a big heart to heart in um, in the prison cell on the Shrike um, about you know you know we're still on the why are we neither one of us like living on the Penthe why are we there you know why do we stay you know and 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 digging into you know their ultimate motivations we know that they went there because the healing properties the atmosphere blah 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 some kind of sci fi stuff was supposed to be beneficial to their son who ultimately passed away anyway so the one thing that we really don't know is what precipitated him just being like all right we're on a break because it was kind of like we were on a break that's why he's like meeting picard in the bar and he's like well you know i'm not gonna be missed at home anyway and didn't want to say much more about it so there's clearly something else which i just I think the story's moved on to the point that we're not going to see it. Yeah, it seemed like it was just kind of sloppy because the way that they were talking about it, the strife that seemed to happen was he got upset over how she had handled his grief when their son had passed away because she had tried to kind of help numb that from him. And he was like, no, I need to experience that. But I'm like, that happened obviously a while ago. Right. So something else so, occurred more recently. I just yeah. it's, it's like he woke up one morning. I mean, God, did he wake up one morning and the, the psychic blocks failed for some reason or, or whatever it was. And he right. just like, yeah, I need to feel this and I need to, you know, go off on my, you know, dudes weekend with Picard or whatever, whatever it is that, that he ended up doing. <laughs> so, um, and that's, you know, that's tough because again, you guys know um, that I have a son who passed away. Today's actually the third anniversary of that happening. Um, but I, but I'm not with my ex-wife. So, mm-hmm. and, and we had been divorced for a very long time um, when that occurred. He was a baby when, when she and I split. So we didn't deal with any of that together. Um mm-hmm. So I, I I can't really speak to that, but yeah, something some some other straw snapped to make th- that situation go down like that. Yeah. Um. So let's uh, let's talk about that red door. So who I, I got zero anything. I, I I guess I've just become the dumbest. I had no idea what was gonna what was gonna go on behind the red door. Did everybody else figure it out except for me? I had a pretty good idea when they showed yeah me, yeah. But th- part of it was there was a musical cue. Oh, I pay attention to those very, very closely. Yeah. And and especially this season on this show, they've been always like, you know, when they're looking at the ships around the fleet museum and this one's the defiant or this one's Voyager. Yeah. They've been pretty good about using the score. The motifs mostly correctly in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Most definitely. So Peter, uh, any other gigantic thoughts uh, that you have about this one before this we, one? Mo- um, we move on to your interpretation of what people are calling the most exciting thing in the God known universe on episode nine? Yeah. So I had a, two thoughts on this particular episode other than the mind control, which was interesting. Um, but Worf was again, a highlight. 
Worf gonna Worf. That was Worfing. great. Mighty um, Worf and Worf Power Rangers. Highlight. And it was right. just, it was also hilarious of like him saying things and then Worf and then Riker's like mildly inappropriate. And Troy's like, well, <laughs> just, it was just, yeah. great. Yes. I of you I every mean, time I'm I joke at a fan of Worf, Riker and Troy just having this weird relationship. And I thought it was great how they managed to bring that dynamic right. back and bring it back in a hilarious way. Dealing mm-hmm. with their, their strange quadrangle. Yeah. Yeah. So even though like, even though it was a Warfax Machina, like how the heck did he get there? But it was still like it, it was just I loved it. Yeah. Um the 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 scene with Picard's corpse definitely was like once they were talking about stuff, it's like, okay, I think I know what's going on here, which is what right. I was expecting. And then they tried to do like the the sidestep, but we'll find out in the next episode it wasn't a sidestep. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. But uh, the the one thing that I thought was a little weird, well, the one thing that was weird for me was the whole data lore thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the the big hug, changing the, dots from red the, to blue. No, the, more of the um, ba- the concept of my memories are what make me me, and so by you taking them, you are now me. I don't really like that concept. It's an interesting concept. It works in a computer way, but when you're trying to personify the two of them. Right. Um, and make them two individuals. It's very weird to me to be like the only defining characteristic of data is his memory. And that mm. was kind of a, that was kind of the shtick in, in season one as well. And uh-huh. I'm just not the biggest fan of like the only thing that makes me who I am are my memories. And that's just kind of, to me, that's, that's very reductionist. And so I, mm-hmm. I didn't like how that worked. It works that, in the story, but I don't, right. I, I don't think it's a very good way nor a very, um, Star Trek holistic way to look at a character. I think it, is There's that maybe a character is that maybe why we weren't crazy about you know Shin's on a nemesis because he said something to the effect of yeah, you know, all, the I, all I have is my problem yeah. and then the whole like because I don't have the memories of you I'm not you and that right whole, the the that weird dynamic in Nemesis where you have like well I'm only the way I am because of my experience it's like no there's there's more to it than that right, um, right. so yeah so like it's an interesting. St- bit it was cool to see data and lore argue with each other like yeah i mean brent Brent spiner did a great job right the two different versions when yeah when does he not yeah exactly no it's wild yeah i uh i mean you get you guys hit all the big points um i also love you know record data time that always you know that that romance is one that or or that romantic friendship is one i you know i witnessed when i was growing up watching the show when i was a teenager and thinking oh it's nice they had a thing and now they're friends and i have i have a friend like that in in my life my friend tamara we've been friends since we were 12 years old she was my first girl crush thing but we became lifelong friends um we're not going to go off and get married later that that part of it is not the same but um (laughs) but it's awesome uh and it's you know it's it's proof to me that that really relationships evolve so i also want to say one more thing this was the one episode where i thought the f-bomb was brilliant right (laughs) yes exactly the effing solid see try look at us trying trying to keep it clean it was it was like you know that was chef's kiss that was great Mm, very good (laughs) was very sad to see uh uh, and i follow her on twitter can't pronounce her name because it's long stephanie it's like shervik or something like that who's lieutenant uh, Tavine, that was a very shocking death. Um, and that was unfortunate, but you know, they did let us know, particularly in this last half of the season that, um, that it's one of those, nobody is safe kind of deals. Um, and we, we find out a little bit more about that in episode nine. So, um, this is now 
Peter's Baby, Episode Nine. Folks, folks, Vox, Vox, the Volkswagen, Volkswagen, Volkswagen. Go for it. So uh, we begin with Troy doing an empathetic mind meld with Jack um, to discover what the source of the voices are and the and the red door. Um, she freaks out and leaves before she tells him anything. And then we find out um, it's the Borg. Nobody saw that coming. Um, no one expects the Spanish Inquisition. Nobody expects the Borg. Um, <laughs> so then it's like, oh, no, we have to be careful because, you know, he's a security threat because the Borg are talking to him. And so we find out um, everyone's rushing back to Earth because Frontier Day is a big thing. And um, they figure out that the reason that Picard's part of Picard's corpse is missing a brain piece is because they were taking a biological implant for lack of a better description Mm -hmm. um, and re-engineering its DNA to beam into resequence into the DNA of practically all of Starfleet, but it only works on the young. Um, Right. Those under the age of 25, that that part of the brain is still developing. And so anyone who was beamed through, under 25 is now affected by this which obviously people beam just like you you know take a car ride it's pretty much the same yeah deal. so it's like it like, yeah but that's we find out that's why the, what the changelings were doing that's why they're infiltrating starfleet is they're running everybody through the transporter to put this gene in right um, so we get to see frontier day we see a bunch of ships and then we finally get to see the enterprise f that they've teased the entire do 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 do. Um, this would this would have been by the, Admiral Shelby. They brought her been, back for a quick cameo. Right, would and have been the Janeway moment, I think. But you know. I was half expecting Janeway, and then I heard the yeah. voice, and then the, and then it was like, wait, name, okay, right. Um, so then we see the uh, Shelby is touting this whole like network of ships thing where they can all do um, work together maneuvers. Titan gets there, tries to stop everything. And then the Borg trigger the assimilation through this DNA implant, uh, f- causing uh, Shelby to get sh- take two in the chest. Yeah, she, <laughs> um, she's she's done on camera. So sorry, guys. She yep. did. Yeah, um, she she I'm got s- less screen time than Roe. but yeah. she did. Uh, yeah. She's not coming back from that. Um, so the fleet gets assimilated. So basically, you see all the younger characters. So the LaForges. Um, all of the different key people that we started to see on the on the Titan and everywhere else, they start to get assimilated. We hear a couple captains get blown up. The Excelsior gets destroyed because they manage to retake their bridge. Um, and then the entire fleet turns on it, blows it up. Um, right. So and then so, our- someone someone made a point, if I could, that that Elnor from seasons one and two, who was supposed to be on the Excelsior, was not there at the time. Somebody, somebody somewhere ferreted that out, and Terry Mattel's went on Twitter and made that statement. So okay. anyway, I mean, in case you were worried about Elmore. It doesn't really matter. Like, yeah. I'm sure if he had been on there, they would have made a bigger deal about it. Right. Um, but so our our gang finds out, dis- decides we got to get out of here, and shuttles are immune to this network of ships. Cause sure, why not? Um, Plot armor. So they're going to run Plot shuttle armor. Shuttle, um, to our great sadness. Shaw gets shot. Uh, <sighs> he is not one hundred percent dead when we see him last, but we don't know. I uh, feel I like he he did the whole almost eyes roll back in the head and just. He's like, very head, likely head dead, eyes. but the problem is I've seen people come back from so many random things. I don't right. know one hundred percent. It's um, very he's true. very likely dead. The way that they did it, they actually had him like finally recognize that who Seven of Nine 
right. is and actually treat her like a person as she's been asking him to for the entire right. show. With, with his dying breath. With his dying mm-hmm. breath. In the moment where he should hate her the most because Borg. Um, right. And he doesn't. So there, it's, it's a huge character moment for him, which is great. Um, it's well done. Um, so the gang escapes um, and they get to the fleet museum because they need a ship. And lo and behold, the only functional ship, the door is open and it is the reason I'm wearing my dress uniform, the <laughs> lady herself, the Enterprise. Yes, D. the um, finest lady. Well, half of her anyway. Well, um, no, they, but the they, top half. They, they got the saucer from Viridian 3 and they're like, oh, well, we had to. And everyone, the rest of us are like, of course you had to. There was a civilization on another planet. Now, <laughs> I, point of order, I'm trying to remember from the dialogue of Generations. I thought they made it sound like Viridian 3 was uninhabited. Viridian 4. Yes. Viridian 4, Viridian 6 had a pre-warp industrial civilization of about... So, yeah. So it was too dangerous to just leave it there even though it was a planet. They sent a satellite. Like a Viridian's Baker Dozen going on here. Oh, there's there's an episode named Viridian's Baker's Dozen. So, So they got the ship... Jordy was refurbishing it in secret to make it a surprise for Frontier Day, I guess. He's not entirely clear what he's doing, uh, but he grabbed the pieces from I think it was just like your dad having a 69 Camaro in the garage. Just yeah, right. He could. Yeah, yeah so right. He, he puts it back together, and apparently it's the only, only functional. Ignore the rest of the ships outside. It's the only well, functional ship. It was the only one that wasn't connected, that was functional and wasn't connected right. to. No, I know the that, but we also have yeah. ships that are, you know, right. several hundred years old. But it doesn't mean that they weren't connected. The Enterprise D, this was, it was on lockdown. So it's, it's sort of. I'm kind just of saying, tilt, there's, tilt there's tilt just a direction. little bit of a hole there. It works. Right. I'm just it does work. There's a little hole. Um, so they rebuild. You have an amazing scene where they get on board the ship and they start reminiscing. They make right. a joke about how the bridge does look a bit, little bit different because it's not the original set. They rebuilt it, right? Um, right. And they built they built it to TV specs, not the specs from Generations, because that bridge was trashed. You know, yeah, a lot of people were like, "Oh, well, you know, the bridge from Generations had extra sides on the whatever," but, but that, that was all destroyed uh, in the so crash. You saw rest of the bridge, so you just rebuild right. it how you want. But yeah, they, so just, they are correct. Yeah, but yeah. So then we see a glorious scene of the entire ship powering up, um, and then the ship warps out to go do super save the cool day again. that they can fly a ship that normally has a thousand total crew, but probably five hundred uh, Starfleet personnel to operate it, and you have seven people who are all on they the bridge. Drones. They've made a point of saying that. So. Oh right, yeah, because he said, "Oh, drones are loading the torpedo bay or whatever." And you know, they did okay in the same scenario in in Star Trek Three when our gang took well, the that was automated. Yeah, that exactly. Really fast. Yeah, that that did not end up working out. So yeah, this um this episode gave us the you know both episodes gave us kind of the money shot of the money shots we got everybody around the conference table in episode eight and then in episode nine we get the lady herself who's now going to run off to save the day so Kay, what are your thoughts break it down for me my big question and again we we know that out of me or out of all of us i am the least star trek technically savvy i know that's I why it all works. yeah i was under the impression there was only ever one board queen at a time 
and Agnes was the ah. Now I just I just read. I was reading and I posted it on our Discord. I know not that everybody tunes into our Discord, but this was less than an hour ago. Terry Metalis, another big talk and interview. He said that Gerardi Borg is a separate, not connected faction. Which is oh. not necessarily what I remember, but my sheer horror yeah. and disgust over all of season two of Picard has meant that I've not gone back and watched it again. Um, so, yeah, Gerardi Borg is elsewhere, not connected to the to the collective. You know, we we did see in um, uh, this was part of what Metallus was having to say. And if I remember, I'll, I'll drop the, the article in the show notes, but anyway, it's on our discord. Um, if you're a listener, uh, and a subscriber to our discord, you'll see it there. Um, that, uh, the, um, the Borg are very much still kicking, certainly at the time of prodigy, which is before this, because Mm -hmm. we know that our gang bumps into uh, Borg there. So the, the Borg is always, it's always kind of around, you know, it's kind of, it's like, you know, what would subscribe and subscribe, survive a nuclear holocaust you know twinkies and cockroaches they're the cockroaches you know i mean <laughs> nothing's really necessarily ever going to rub them out oh yeah absolutely well and i wasn't so much that we were i was expecting them to be gone it's just gerardi like she basically made an alliance with the federation at the end of season two so the fact that now there's another whole section of the borg that are like no actually we're going to team up with the changelings and still kick this your ass is, and take you right. over. It's apparently the same queen from the end of voyager so, so yeah, so it's Alice Krieger. Sounded like her. Yeah, yeah. sounded like so Alice that's Krieger. The, yeah. I'm hoping that they do something to like in the what last episode that we had yeah. that they do something to address that, or that we get to see um, Allison Pill again as right, um, right, Gerardi Bork. Because I mean, first off, to give her another chance to not have to have horrible CG, right. Um, and let them actually just do some decent makeup and costuming, and also because yeah. she can just devour any scene she's in so i would love to see her have more screen time totally um but i feel like they like did a a decent job kind of just like putting everything together it's it still feels kind of a little messy to me i was very surprised that when they found out that jack was borg immediately everybody's like changed about him like i get that the borg are dangerous but also he's still the same person he was you know five minutes before they knew he was borg Right. Or, you know, he's Borg, not even quote, Borg. Unquote. He just has a transmitter in his Right. Head. Yeah. Yeah. And they didn't. The big thing I was like, okay, so you have everybody in the room talking. You literally have someone who grew up with the Borg on your bridge right now. Right. Who might be able to help him with his transition. And no one's going to go get seven. Like, just no right. one. <laughs> We're well, not going to Especially with his mom being super doctor, that they would, you know, lock him down in sick bay and figure out you know, some way to suppress this implant or whatever. turns out in the end of it, there was, you know, the damage was done. Um, right. Yeah. But, but and they, I think that it was just they the were just, way yeah. that they went about it did not help. Right. Because no. they basically were like, no, you're a danger to everyone else and you're basically a monster. So we're going to lock you in your room right. until we can figure it out. And then he was like, um, no, I don't like this idea. I'm going right. to answer. So. And then gets himself. Yeah. Like right and so yeah and then yeah and then things end up turning around and obviously then Alice crazy. reappeared so that was cool yeah, yeah no no doubt about it so okay um let's because we're kind of at the this, this has been a longer segment and it's been great but let's talk each of you one rock solid prediction for the finale we know we're gonna see tuvok because it's been pre-told so well, yeah we already have seen tuvok 
Right, no, no. He said he was coming back. He was coming back a second time. Um, he did. He he did. He did. You know that that did make the round. So Peter, one thing that you, I would say, we'll go with hope because nobody knows what's going to happen. We know that the series is going to come to a conclusion. What's something you hope happens in episode ten, the series finale? Well, something I know is going to happen is it's going to be basically what I said of Picard versus Locutus. Just it's going to be Jack. Um, yeah. So they're. I was hoping they weren't going to do that, but they're doing it. Um, yes. <laughs> so, um, so there, so that's just a prediction. Uh, I hope that they're going to have, um, I mean, obviously the enterprise D is going to have to save the day. I hope they don't destroy her again. Um, that, that would hurt be a, a lot. <laughs> right. I already watched her die once. I don't need to see it again. Right. <laughs> you know, the show's obsessed with death, but please stop. Um, yeah. Right. So I also predict that we're going to see likely um, um, Picard himself likely die at the end. Yeah. Um, just because they, it, everything seems to be wrapping up. So I think we're going to get the conclusion of some major character arcs. Um, we're going to see the death of Picard, potentially the death of the enterprise again. I hope not. Yeah. Um, and we're going to see the, the death of the Borg queen once again. Um, so right. we're going to get the Borg being removed as a major threat from the star trek universe as we see it in the present um, right that's kind of where i'm thinking we're also going to see some other stuff but that's that's okay. if i stick and to one thing that's that's it gotcha all right Kay, how about you um i i'm hoping like i said that we get to see um Drati pork that would be yeah. my big fingers crossing um and that i hope that um it doesn't just become a emotional spill fest of you are my father and you didn't love me. I didn't know about you. Now you can't do bad things. And it's just kind of like a, a talk fest of right. You know, yelling good. emotion at each other. The talkies. <laughs> I'm in a glass cage yeah. of emotion. The, the, the Star yeah, exactly. Trek version. So um, I hope that it doesn't because Jack honestly has been a little whiny for me. Um, he's, Luke, he's Luke Skywalker now. Well, yeah, you know, Wesley. He's being a little bit. Episode four a little Luke bit Skywalker. Of a, yeah. Yeah, of a, of a Wesley Crusher meets Luke Skywalker for me. So I'm hoping that we get a little bit less of the tormented soul and that he can have right. some some more meat to him besides just, oh, I don't know. Life is meaningless. Blah, blah, blah. Well, I would, I would like, I would also like to see, uh, you know, a redemption from him and being, you know, just, just like Janeway in, in Endgame, the last episode of Voyager, <laughs> that he will turn the tables on the Borg Queen. Um, and we're going to see obvious things like, you know, all the people who have been Borgified will be deborgified, you know, so that, you know, the LaForge daughters will come back and some of the other, well, they're the, really the only other young people we have left that we care about. Um, and yeah, Picard's death seems, I'm not going to say I hope for it, but yeah, again, it does seem a fitting, you know, arc to his story. Um, and, you know, uh, reinforcing the perpetual sadness of I found my father and now he's dead, blah, 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 you know, very Shakespearean, which is, you know, start, which is really, you know, Star Trek at its heart. So I think it would be a little poetic if Picard died saving data. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. And because they're both droids. So it's, he's, you know, saving another, he's another version of Picard saving a third version of data. Yeah. I think that'd be great to see him move on. So that, yeah, that's good stuff. Well, cool. We have, uh, just a few days left. This will air on, uh, Thursday, uh, of the, 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 you know, the Monday that you're listening to this. Um, God, we have to wait like 
two whole weeks. I, I'm almost, I'm almost an advocate of us coming back to talk about this a little sooner, but we can decide that together. You know, maybe it'll give us a little bit of a chance to coagulate our thoughts and, you know, and then we'll also do maybe a season slash series wrap up to just kind of wind out the, uh, the segment. So, well, cool. Awesome. All right. Well, we are going to say goodbye to Peter as he is leaving us for the next portion of the show because we're going to dig into the first part of season three of Voyager. So, Peter, where do people find you out there on the interwebs? You can find me out on the interwebs at Petrus Aquinas on most things. I don't usually do much, but you can find me. It's good to find him. (laughs) You can also find me on ELH's uh, YouTube or Twitch where I play a Vulcan engineer. Fantastic. All right. We'll say goodbye to Peter. And after this super brief pause, we will be back. Goodbye. We'll be back. All right. We're back. Time for do, 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 do Voyager, but there's no seven of nine yet. So it's just the old gang. Uh, We're getting into the first part of season three. This was part of the 1996 to 1997. Um, season on television on the old UPN. Now, Kate, I've never asked you, when did you start watching Star Trek? Where, where, so at this point, you would have been like 10, 11 um, years old. If oh, I'm no, I didn't my- start watching it until I was um, with Aaron, my spouse. Oh, so, okay, um, gotcha. We weren't married yet, but it, so it's probably, I mean, we watched it on Netflix before it was actually streaming, but we would get the disc. The disc. TV. Oh, yeah. so this was like so, late aughts, probably? Late yeah, to I would aughts? say yeah. probably... Yeah, it's probably no. It's probably um sooner than or later than that. It was probably like early two thousand tens. Okay, so not not may- maybe ten years after the show had been off the air, really, which because yeah. in two thousand and one, interesting. So I just wanted I didn't know if you kind of discovered it as a kid and you were of that age, but you know who knows. Um, well, cool, good deal. All right, well, let's jump in. Uh, we're wrapping up. If you jump back, you know, and again, this is the first time we're getting a real cliffhanger for this show. Um, but we got a cliffhanger for this one and we talked about the first part of it, obviously way back when, when we were covering season two, because again, our, 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 our format is that we do a season at a time, but matching season. So we did, you know, season three of TNG season three of DS nine. And, and now we're here. So it was quite a while back. Um, but I'll grab the first one. Uh, this is a conclusion to, uh, what kicked off the end of se- what wrapped up the end of season two. This is basics part two, uh, directed by Winrich Colby and directed or, or written by Michael Piller. So again, guy go help co-create the show from September of 1996. The crew must learn to survive on the inhospitable planet as the doctor, crewman Suter and Paris attempt to regain control of the ship. Hmm. I mean, I was going into this already thinking, how, you know, how does she let this happen? I mean, I, I think, and I think that's how we wrapped up talking about it. Season two. We're like, what a stupid situation she got them into because the whole thing was, you know, Seska sends this message. Okola found out that the baby isn't his and he's going to kill me. And Chakotay's like, I really think we should just let it go. And Janeway's like, no, I think we should go rescue this baby that may or may not be yours. And then they get into this whole situation and they lose the ship. So <sighs> this is the aftermath of that. You know what I mean? Yes. They're on, they're on this planet. They don't have any rations. They don't have anything. They're just left to their wits and they've got to find food. And, you know, thankfully Tuvok is a, a he was a survival instructor at Starfleet Academy. So he knows a bunch of stuff. Basically um, did the Vulcan version of the Boy Scouts. 
Yeah, the Vulcan Scouts. Um, Chakotay gives a uh, funny but it shouldn't be line. You know, you're with the only Indian in the quadrant who can't start a fire by rubbing two sticks together. That's uh, that's, that's not good. But uh, yeah, whatever. He said it. It was a and you. I never knew until you told me that his whole character was based around some super fake guy who claimed to be a a native and indigenous cultures and Native American culture. Um, So I wonder if this guy was still on staff at that time because that was a bad line. That was that was that that was kind of a thumbs down. So, I mean, for me, all the stuff on the planet is kind of like, oh, they they meet some some pre-verbal natives who they can't talk to, and you know, Neelix and Kess get kidnapped by him, and then one of them gets, of course, they do, yeah, gets trapped on a you know a molten lava rock or whatever, and it's just a, an amazing kind of shit show of stuff. Now back on the ship, we're getting. Time with the Doctor and, and Suter, who is the, the exceptional Brad Dorff. Everybody loves Brad Dorff. He's been in everything, and he's fantastic. The Paris mm-hmm. part of it is like, okay, he's on a shuttlecraft, and he recruits some Talaxians to help retake the ship. But, I mean, for me, the most interesting part of anything is watching Brad Dorff do Suter because it's it's it, it's an interesting character. You're watching kind of that struggle. But, you know, the whole episode as a whole, you're, you're wrapping up a story that kind of sucked in the first place. So it's kind yeah. of hard for hard for me to – to put any interest behind it. So anyway, what did and you I think? I think it was kind of a, it was a kind of a bad ending for Seska. Yeah. Like as, as yeah. great of a villain of it, yeah. as she was, she just, she died like trying to get to her baby. And I was like, Come yeah, on. like she is, she was such a great villain and she was great so villain, devious yeah. and right. so maniacal and so calculating. And I just felt like she kind of got the short end of the stick. Now, granted later on in the series, she kind of comes back, well, yeah, which is we- great. We get her so on the she, hol- holiday. Yeah. Uh, do we get her twice? No, just I was thinking twice, but it's just one. And it's even later in the season. It's the episode of worst yeah. case scenario at the end, closer to the end of the season. Yeah. So you get, you, you do, she does have a little bit of a resurgence, which I think is a little bit of a better ending for her in that sense. But definitely the highlights were the doctor and suitor. Just, I mean, first off, they had a great dynamic as the doctor's really coming into his own. He needs learning subterfuge and how to kind of. Yeah. Work his way through command. And then, you know, Suter's struggling because he's like, I don't want to have to kill people, but I'm going to have to kill people. This is the entire thing that I've been fighting against. Right. And so the doctor is trying to help him through that. And he's obviously not really understanding the mental dynamics of that because he's like, no, it'll be fine. Like, you know, you'll be, you'll be okay. It's going to be in self-defense. You'll be great. And Suter's like, yeah, I don't think you understand. <laughs> so I did particularly enjoy just on top of like when they were on the planet and it was just mistake after mistake after mistake where Neelix in that, you know, yellow shirt are just walking up and they see these bones in front of the cave. And Neelix literally says, this looks like a do not disturb sign. And then he asks the dude to just pick up all the bones. And I'm like, literally do not disturb. Let's disturb it. Come on. Yes. Would you, would you think for five seconds, please? Is, is, is is Neelix the Taylor Swift of this? Is it's not me. I'm the problem. It's me. (laughs) <laughs> yes, Neelix is the problem. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, so um yeah, you're right. Just, you know, Seska uh, getting electrocuted and being like, eh, "Eh, eh, That's that that is a very very lame entrance to the really what ends up being the series best films. Not counting like oh, the Borg and blah 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 and I, but I mean like a single dedicated great villain out bent out to you know to screw over the crew yeah it was it was kind of sorry to see her go out like that so yeah thumbs down uh for the conclusion of what was a bad story to start with so mm-hmm. anyway from there we move on to what i think is a pretty damn cool segment so why don't you tell us about episode two 
Yeah, so episode two is Flashbacks. Uh, it was directed by David Livingston and written by Brandon Braga, and it aired September 11th of 96. And this is when Tuvok experiences brain-damaging flashbacks to his service on the USS Excelsior. He and the captain attempt to find the reason for the flashbacks, believed to be a suppressed memory through a joint mind melt. Which never goes well. <laughs> it never goes well. They're and always like, let's just do a mind melt. Anytime anyone mentions the mind melt, it's like the transporter accident thing. There's never been a transporter right. accident. Oh, mind melts always go so well. No, yeah. they don't. <laughs> or, you know, any holiday experience where, oh, we, we turn the safeties off or the safeties could go off. Just things that are just big friggin' red flags. You should not be able to turn safeties off in the right. holodeck. I don't exactly. even know why that's an option. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it was somebody's backdoor stupid idea. So. Um, so this aired in conjunction with the 30th anniversary of the franchise, uh, and then also with the exceptional um, Trials and Tribulations from Deep Space Nine, which was in season four of that show, which we will talk about, you know, way on down the line. So uh, I love, I loved this without a doubt. We get George K. Back as Captain Sulu. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get Ann Arbor, Michigan's uh, own. Uh, Janice Rand, who is name is now escaping me, but she's a Michigan native. Why can't I remember the name of the actress who played uh, Janice Rand? It's going to come to me in a minute. I'm so embarrassed. You'll I ref- think of it when you're laying in bed tonight, and it'll just pop in your mind. I refuse. I refuse to Google it because <laughs> I will not be inauthentic on this show. Um, Grace Lee. Grace Lee Whitney. That see there you that go. Didn't, Boom. That didn't, that didn't take long at all. That was great. Um, they played a little fast and loose with the character who was Dimitri Valtain, the other bridge character, because it was pointed out when this episode aired that this is all um it's it's a it's a micro add-on to the events of Star Trek Six. Um and mm-hmm. the Excelsior is part of it. It's pointed out at the end of Star Trek Six, where you see um, everyone on the Enterprise Bridge talking to everyone on the Excelsior Bridge that Valteen is standing in the background. Although, according to this, he was dead. So, twin brother on board. Very nice. I also, ju- <laughs> I also just don't get um, the housing situation on the Excelsior because... You see two officers, a junior officer, Tuvok, who's an ensign, and a senior officer, who's Valtain, who has the rank of lieutenant commander, sharing bunks in a bunk bed. And they also sleep in their uniforms. Super. I mean, maybe it's a nap station as opposed to a real living arrangement, but that's a pretty big ship. It's not It's not big like the Enterprise D, but it's definitely bigger than the Enterprise A, where everybody, you know, prior to... Star Trek six had their own little, you know, junior officers or enlisted enlisted people might share bunks, but officers certainly never would. So that was a little weird to me. Obviously that worked for that scene because the two of them are, are having uh, kind of some back and forth about the fact that, you know, Valteen's like, well, you Vulcans need to chill out. Tuvok's like, I will not chill out. I'm a Vulcan and bird, 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 bird. <laughs> and, you know, all the while all the interactions, um, the the mind version of present day Tuvok and then Janeway who's with him are kind of talking through like well you know, he said well you know back in that day I was a young man I was kind of a dickhole you know I didn't really get humans and I only went to Starfleet because my parents pressured me to and so on and so forth but I later learned you know that when I settled down and, and went through the Ponfar again and, and married and, and started to have kids I started to get more of appreciation for the bigger world blah, and 50 years later is when I went back to Starfleet which I, I 
I thought was a super cool. I've always liked Tuvok as a character, and I thought, oh, he's a great character. I think learning about his background in this way was a really unique and cool way to pull it off. Plus, both 30th anniversary segments touched different parts of the original series, which I really thought was great in different ways. So, I th- I thought this was this was really well done. Um, yeah. And again, you know, done in a very Star Trekky science fictiony kind of way, like, hey, I've got a a weird memory fragment, but it's really a virus that was never a real memory. It's just a it's a microbe that did this thing or that thing. It's just super yeah. very Star Trek. And for for oh, me, yeah. the purpose of it, it, it absolutely works for the story. So I'm I was very pleased with this episode back then, and I was yeah, I, was, I was, was watching it again. I was fine with the weird science mumbo jumbo for the story in its of itself, and I had a different perspective because the first time I watched this, I kind of was like, Oh, Spock's just kind of like a D hole and he's just being uppity as a, you know, as a Vulcan and he's just being his kind of Vulcan self, but rewatching it, having just watched Picard season three and listening to Shaw critique kind of the Picard and like hero narrative right, of right, always right. putting like putting people in danger so that you can be the hero You're, or, you know, you have to buck the rules because you know better than the establishment, which right. is literally the exact thing that, you know, Tuvok had an issue with as far as what um, now I, I want to say McCoy and I'm like, no, they were going to save McCoy. <laughs> no, yeah, well, Sulu and Sulu, Sulu, Sulu and Rand, right. For him just yeah, saying, Th- those men are my family and I'm going for it. It's like, uh, but we could all be dead. Well, right. That's you're it, I don't care. The entire ship and you're not trusting Starfleet. Right. to do what they said they're going to do. And you're saying that you know better. And so I kind of looked at that with a new lens because yeah. of all of the critique of season three of Picard having that kind of same through line. Right, right. So yeah, I totally dug it. So definitely top top shelf season, uh, top, top shelf episode of the season so far. Mm-hmm. Okay, number three, speaking of going from the top to the bottom of the shoot, that would be episode three, the shoot. Uh, this is directed by Les Lando, story by... Clayvon C. Harris, not a Star Trek name, a teleplay by Ken Biller. So I'm guessing that this is, prob- this is possibly a slush pile, uh, slush pile script that was polished off by somebody on the writing staff from September of 96. Uh, Paris and Kim are wrong- wrongfully accused, convicted, and incarcerated. We don't even see the first of those two things. But we see this in an underguard, acritarian prison. Um, but it's, oh, unguarded, not underground, because it's actually, it's a satellite, so it's in space. Uh, Tom gets stabbed trying to protect Kim, leaving him to try to find an escape plan alone. Meanwhile, Voyager is finding a way to try to prove their innocence. I'm not going to lie to you, I barely paid attention while this episode was on because it was just, it, it just did not grab me. Um, you know, I, I love Paris and Kim, and it really, if I'm a I'm a Patreon subscriber to the Delta Flyers, which is the the podcast that Robbie McNeil and Garrett have, where they break down every episode of the series, and uh, they're almost they're actually almost at their conclusion. They're in season seven right now, so this would be way back. But it's worth a scroll. I'm curious how they how they felt about this episode about the two of them. You know what I mean? But I just I just didn't really dig it. I don't know. How about you? I both loved and hate this episode because okay. I do think it's a really great kind of discussion about privilege in the judicial system because mm-hmm. it's very obvious when Tom and Harry come in, they're like, Oh, well obviously like, who do we talk to? What, where are the guards? Like, what do we do? And everybody there is just like, you're an idiot. No one's going to come and save you. No one's going to do right. anything. You're here now. You're going to die here because that's how this works. Right. And they set them up to fail. And it's just one of those things of when you have privilege and don't have to acknowledge the failures in the judicial system, 
you just don't acknowledge that they're there until it hits you in the face. So I really right. liked that. Everything else about it, just I don't know if it was just the way that it was written or if it's just I mean, I don't know, you said that you love Paris and Kim. I honestly they're my least favorite probably of the bridge crew. You know, I, I, I mean I, they're not like it's not that they're bad. It's just every right. time I'm like, I'd rather like I'd rather listen to the doctor or right. you know, seven of nine or you know, Janeway, like find out. Yeah, I mean, I, I may have developed more of an affinity of the actors because of listening to the show. But yeah, now that you say it, I don't, you know, they're not my top two favorite. I, I like, you know, I like Chakotay and Tuvok because, you know, and, yeah. and Janeway, of course. But yeah, yeah, I, you're right. I would tend to put them to the bottom. And I mean, Harry Kim is not a really fascinating and deep character um but again i i met garrett i met him on the cruise and and i've listened to the show for uh you know since it started uh on and off so i i definitely enjoy that but yeah they're, they're more enjoyable than their characters are but yeah at the end of it they're both back on the ship and they're like you know the only thing i he's tom i was going crazy and i was going to kill you because they all have these little implants that make them go nuts and so in the end they turned on each other and and but they do end up getting rescued janeway has this great slide down the chute she pops up with the rifle and oh okay that was a pretty good moment i'll give him that much but at the end paris is just like i just remember that my buddy was gonna save me do 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 and then, then they walk off you know to the mess hall to have a big fancy meal and it was like you know it felt like the end of a sitcom you know what i mean and it's just it was just yeah it just didn't really do it for me so yeah i think that story-wise it was an interesting story i think that i just wasn't interested in the character like i think having torres in there with having to deal with her aggression her natural aggression as a Klingon and also having an increased aggression um, implant that's giving her all of these extra endorphins for aggression. Like that would have been right. incredibly interesting to see her have to do. Right. Yes. No. Oh, you're absolutely right. Or like, like her and Chakotay, especially because they have a bond and watching that bond get some friction on it. I think that would have been really yeah. interesting. Oh my God. I didn't even but think, think about think, it that way. Yeah. No, part I totally of the problem agree. is that Paris, you, you hit the nail on the head where like Kim, especially he just has, no story to him it's well my parents made me you know i have i have a tiger mom like yeah. it's just the most stereotypical just asian family trope that they get like kind of slapped on him and yeah. they're just like i don't know he Big just time. does his thing there's a another and i keep referencing other podcasters but there's a mission log which is part of the roddenberry network it's a uh john champion and another guy's name who i'm forgetting but the other guy that i'm thinking of is asian and it was the same thing i was listening to one of these episodes he was talking about harry kim and he said well you know kim is practices clarinet he says i just keep hearing my mother say practice harry practice and the the podcaster says well you know as an asian that was my mom and so yeah you're right it's it was just stereotypical stereotypical heaven much like all of the native american tropes that got pinned on chakotay that yeah. really started to 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 slop off as the series went on which i think yeah happened, or so. see now all i'm thinking about are the cool character combinations because you have tuvok who has his natural aggression and right then you have torres that would have been fantastic too right right yeah you know and, and the good news is we did see that in um, the episode with Suter back in season two with Tuvok losing his emotional control. And then we see it with Torres when uh, Vorik accidentally transfers his Ponfar to her in his, in, in his episode later this season called Blood Fever, where she goes through, um, you know, she goes through the Ponfar yes. and eventually <laughs> she has to, eventually she fights Vorik and it's pretty sweet. So you did get your wish. They just did it in a weird way and it was kind of a, kind of a weird combo. So anyway, um, well, cool. All right. Episode four is the swarm. Ooh, that's all you. All right. So we have the swarm uh, directed by Alexander Singer, 
written by Mike Sussman, and that aired September of 96. We have the Voyager encounters a swarm of ships while trying to take a shortcut through space belonging to a hostile species while the doctor begins to experience memory loss. Um, And this one, you know, we got some doctor episodes. I enjoy the doctor for the most part, besides when he starts getting a little bit weird with people. (laughs) Right. Um, So I thought this one was really great, and it kind of showed how... Like on one end, you had this network building around the ship to destroy it. And at the same time, he's losing his network. Right. It's like all of his memories and everything are kind of decompressing and, um, you know, getting lost. And you got to see his original incarnation. Right. The, uh, the holodeck. Uh, yeah. The help, maintenance holo- program. the help desk holodeck. Yeah. Help desk. Oh, God, that could be a better name. For the <laughs> help desk holodeck. Um, yeah. No, I like that. And yeah, this was the first. A uh, dual role of um, uh, of Bob Picardo uh, doing Lewis Zimmerman, who is the creator, help desk. Mm-hmm. And I mean, um, I, I do really appreciate being able to see both of those characters. And I think he does a good job playing both of the characters. It's not, you know, I, I hate to compare, but I will because um, I'm that person. But, it's you know, it's no Brett Spiner playing lore and data and everybody. Mm, but he still right. does a really good job, I think, differentiating between those two characters. Right. And we actually see Lewis Zimmerman not only in this show, but he crosses over to Deep Space Nine because uh, there's that that project where he's supposed to turn Bashir's template into a long-term hologram. And then through that, we stumble upon the fact that he's, you know, a genetically engineered in season, I think, five of DS9. So, yeah, I thought this, this one was over. Okay, again, we get another disposable monster of the week that's uber deadly, but Voyager defeats him in the first five minutes. Yeah, I honestly had like no interest in that secondary plot. Yeah, exactly. A hive swarm thing. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's just like you know we stumbled upon a ship and they they the swarm ate them and you know but it's okay. Well, then they never come up again. We did have one super cool shot that I kind of remembered of the you know it's a space shot of the the ship in the foreground or the ship in the midground and the swarm in the background and the Voyager flying forward and the swarm kind of following them. I thought that was a cool shot. That was about kind of the only thing I really, really dug on about that. So, um, okay, moving on, uh, episode five of seven that we're going to uh, tackle this episode is false prophets, uh, d- uh, directed by cliff bowl story by George Brozak and teleplay by Joe Minoski, who is a regular of the series from October of 96. Um, the crew encounters the Delta quant terminus of the, Barzan Wormhole and the two Ferengi from the uh, TNG episode, The Price, now posing as gods on a nearby planet. What a fun episode. I, I liked this. I mean, the Ferengi are always played for giggles. They even managed to get the same two actors who played in uh, the, the previous uh, episode, which was seven years prior. And I suppose it's probably, you know, a feat to actually snag actors back, even though they were just two character actors, but still, uh, I thought that was cool. We do get, um, through this, we do get, uh, Johnny Phillips or he, it's fine. Everybody calls him Johnny. And he was called Johnny when I was on the cruise cause he was there, but Ethan slash Johnny Phillips as, um, as a fake Ferengi, the, the grand proxy, uh, you know, playing up and trying to, um, trying to get these two Ferengi, uh, to give up their, post while you know we get the typically dangled like here's a way home you know we could jump through the bars and wormhole and uh and it'll take us back to the alpha quadrant thus ending the series and naturally through some tech shenanigans um the ferengi try to jump in their shuttle and leave at the same time and voyager has to hit them with a blobbity blue wave and that changes the wormhole and now the wormhole is broken and it jumps away and the other end of it jumps away too so now the wormhole is useless so yeah 
that was pretty convenient. Um, so yeah, the <laughs> end of it was kind of, yeah, long line of them. Yeah, you know, almost to getting home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, almost counts on how she horseshoes and hand grenades. Um, mm-hmm. So the the middle part, you know, the, the first two thirds of this, I thought were pretty fun. You know, Frangi shenanigans and you know Frangi just doing what they do, trying to make profit and ripping off this naive civilization on this planet. Um, yeah, they were all kind of dressed like Aladdin with the the fancy shoes. They kept making shoes references, like those are some nice they shoes. Really and, did. Yeah, they were. They, this was kind of a sh- the shoe fetish society, but they were all really dressed like it was you know the um like the turkish bazaar and the uh you know looking like aladdin um but whatever i mean and their their servants guy's name was jafar i mean they were just they were taking it to that that aladdin kind of spot um so yeah i enjoyed that but yeah the 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 techno babble end of like oh we almost got home and yeah i just you know you don't know how the how everybody on this crew is not so whacked out on drugs of some kind because of the the crippling depression of never being able to get ahead <laughs> um but uh no this was fun and this was during a brief period of time when i actually stopped watching the series for a little while because i was kind of getting a little fed up I, I, I these first few episodes um i just found so stupid that i just i think even after uh, somewhere between or maybe after episode seven of the segment, I, I quit for a little while. Um, mm-hmm. And that was the only Star Trek break I ever took since I started watching uh, of any show since I started watching in, in the fall of 92 and in, in TNG season uh, season five. So, yeah, this this particular segment broke me from watching Voyager. Ugh. So any other thoughts? Any other thoughts about this one? Yeah, I just really enjoyed when, you know, the episode popped up and I was like, hey, I know those Ferengi. So I think it was just a really great way to tie in kind of a loose end of TNG and bring it about. Um, And again, seeing um, Neelix as a Ferengi, that was a really fun kind of expansion of that role and letting him kind of expand on his acting chops. I mean, Mm -hmm. he obviously he does Mm -hmm. a lot of character acting. He does a lot of prosthetics. So I'm sure it wasn't that big of a stretch for him to move into kind of a different type uh but it was still really really fun to see and yeah overall i just thought it was a very funny episode with a way that they were able to use kind of the uh prophecy against them yeah and also just i like how they keep messing with the word profit right because didn't we have one from ds9 that was also named something profit Pro- profit and lace or profit motive we had a bunch really but yeah yeah, yeah. So yeah, got to hit the hit the hit the Ferengi where they live. So yeah, that that was a fun one. Um, yeah, th- uh, this next one, this next one, I really ended up digging it way more than I thought. But it's yours. Go for it. Real All short right, description so yeah. too. <laughs> Episode six, we have "Remember," uh, directed by Wendich Colby, story by uh, Brandon Braga and Joe Minoski, and the teleplay by Lisa Klink. And that one aired October 9th of ninety six, and our. Description is just Balana experiences vivid dreams. Um, uh, that's which- that sucks. And I will say, if if I can, um, Brandon Braga, Joe Minoski, and then Lisa Klink, who was an emerging member of the writing staff, are all Star Trek superstars. And I think th- I think that's what contributed to, in my opinion, in this being a, just a fantastic episode. But anyway, please. Yeah, I would say yeah. This is a very solid episode. We end up getting uh, introduced to a new race, a Lawrence. I don't remember what they're called. The, L- the Elorians are, um, that's Guinan species, but all yes, right, I'll even, well, the, the, the dog, the, the dog objects. Um, let's see here. The Enarans. That's not so Enarans. It was close. I was very yeah. close. <laughs> so it's yeah. close. It's very, um, very close. Also telepathic species. They kind of can share thoughts and experiences so they can share knowledge, which is really cool. 
Um, but Balama accidentally, well, kind of turns out not accidentally, starts reliving one of their lives when they right. were younger. And so she keeps having these dreams and she realizes that it's kind of a story that's playing itself out. So she has to go through until the end when she discovers that there is a lot more to this kind of paradise type utopia that met more than met the eye. Right. No, exactly. I absolutely loved it. And again, it, it touches on a parable in any society. Like we have this undesirable cast and we're going to move them along to a place where they'll be more comfortable. Um, and, you know, not to dig too deep into the allegories of the Trail of Tears or anything like that in this country, um, but essentially took an entire uh, subsect of their own um their own race, their own, you know, people on their planet. And in this case, they just, they just decided to kill them. It was kind of no big deal. All the while propaganda saying, well, you know, these people, uh, they didn't want to live our way of life and they wouldn't, you know, wash their butt or whatever it is, you know, I mean, they didn't want our technology. And so, um, this propaganda is so impressed upon, the character that Belana is living this through. And we see Belana living as this person in the past, wearing her clothes and speaking as her, um, that, uh, and she loves a young man from the sect and whatever it is. And ultimately the propaganda wins her over and she turns him over and then watches him get, you know, burned alive. That's great. Mm, what you wouldn't what This is one of those, you know, meatloaf moments. Uh, I do anything for love, but I won't do that. Ouch. Crispy. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah. um, yeah, this um, and then you see her as the character later on walking along a group of school children, just relaying the propaganda, pushing it on to another generation uh, after all of the indigenous, you know, sect has been eliminated. So really, really telling And at the end of it, um, Balana um, comes out and says, you know, she confronts the the Anarans who are still on the ship in present day and says, you did this thing, you whatever it is, and, Tor, you know, Janeway's like, well, you, that's a pretty strong accusation to make without proof. And the doctor's not able to scan it and prove it, but Belana is able to have a conversation with a young Anaran woman who um, Harry's been hitting on and obviously not closing the deal um, because, yeah, they don't, you know, Harry just doesn't really have the, really doesn't have the touch again harry he well he doesn't have a personality yeah <laughs> we've yes. been through this <laughs> i i am harry kim would you like to go out with me meet Matt more i cannot feel emotion <laughs> but, uh, but balana is able to uh spin the memories on to this young lady and then that's where the episode ends so you know it gives you that nice satisfying conclusion that hey somebody in their society is able to go home and then carry on the investigation mm -hmm. and, and potentially expose this so yeah. i in their I loved it. Yeah, there was that really great scene between Bolana and the leader of, you know, this new race that we're introduced to that just was really, really fantastic. And it really showed kind of what a master manipulator he was because he just every time she was like, no, I know that this is what I saw. You killed this woman because she was giving me your memories. And he's like, oh, well, I'm sure, you know, this feels very real for you. But right. this, are you sure this is what happened? And it just was a lot of serious ghosting. Of, yeah. Just yeah. Well, and just kind of a that manipulative abuse that you see from an abuser when they're making you guess everything right. that's happened. Right. Oh my goodness. Yeah. No, this was intense, and th this was an episode mm -hmm. I wouldn't say I remembered extremely well, um, but uh, to me, d the strongest of the bunch. Um, mm -hmm. I definitely think, or, or definitely a top contender. So okay, uh, rounding it off with episode seven, Sacred Ground. Uh, first episode directed by Robert Duncan McNeil, um, which uh, he's Tom Paris, of course. 
And uh, he goes on, obviously, after Voyager is over, he does direct, uh, direct uh, a few more episodes, another one of which they just discussed on their podcast recently. But he went on in the 2000s to direct, you know, shows like Dawson's Creek and One Tree Hill and a lot of that kind of CW, um, UPN, um, Warner Brothers fair um, and is still directing today. He is a uh, uh, he was creatively involved in the show Chuck uh, in shaping that show and then also the show. Um, uh, Resident Alien, which April and I have watched a little bit of, and that's over on USA or something. Just a great show. It's really, really, really cool. He's completely out of acting um, and doing this, and he has this great second career, so I think it's awesome. So anyway, uh, story by Geo Cameron, not a Star Trek name. And again, Lisa Klink, who's obviously, she's, a, she's an emerging uh, in the story room at this time. So uh, from October of 1996, Kess is left comatose after contacting an energy field around a rock what a great description i say that description is just that is an amazing description that's exactly how i feel about this episode that is is kiss around a rock when it's funny because obviously the the real b story around this is you know challenging janeway's perceptions of going on this spiritual journey when she's this hardcore scientist but she has to go through this process to potentially find a cure for kiss and kiss is just the wesley crusher of this episode it reminds me and i watched another long ago of that season one episode on the planet with the naked people uh where wesley falls into the plants and they're gonna kill him because it's their law it's just you know things are fine until kess comes along and, and screws something up that's that's kind of what this one felt right. like to me that's so like, like they wander away and she's like this looks interesting and nix is like i don't know maybe you shouldn't touch she's like no i'm gonna touch it and then of course something goes bad and like right. wh- touch, why touch 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 yeah i'm like i get that she's like kind of like childlike but because she's two because she's, she's too stupid <laughs> yeah exactly i mean she's two by our years but you know in normal right. part when she's in her 20s or whatever you, you'd right. like to think she's even and in a relationship with neelix who's probably 50 oh god let's not <laughs> let's not let's not talk about that oh we're not gonna gross. go there <laughs> yeah so i mean there was there were you know in the b story with jane in the b you know i don't know what's the b story in the a story i, I feel like kess is the b story because it's yeah uh, you know it's just kind the, of a, a plot point to get to the janeway right conflict religion versus or spirituality versus science thing yeah exactly so you know and and they they you know and they drag that they say drag it out but i mean they really they portray it out through you know two-thirds of the episode um and you know the cast part is just a bit at the beginning but you know much like back in um basics part two where Kess, you know Kess gets kidnapped and then she's mm-hmm. you know this and that with it's just she, she just she is the she, like Her i said she yeah her and Neil, yeah, as a pair, they're just there to create issues that drive our characters into something plot related. They're they are the they are the you know alien ex machina whatever. I, I, I don't know. I'll think of a better title as things goes on, but certainly you know. And when they break the duo up, when Kess leaves the show in the next season. I, I think it's better, you know, even though Kess is not around, uh, it's definitely better for Neelix's character to not have Kess around um, because oh, she yeah. doesn't, yeah, she doesn't quite, you know, you're not dealing with him quite getting into so many, so much dumb stuff. So, yeah, I thought, you know, it was a, it was a thing, you know, it was certainly well directed um, because again, I, mm-hmm. I, I like Robbie Duncan McNeil's work and, um, but yeah, I think again, kind of coming from the slush pile of the scripts. I think this came from somebody outside of star Trek who was trying to do something interesting, which I feel like potentially they accomplished with the Janeway part. But yeah, the cast like cats touched a rock and now she's in a coma. (sighs) Just really, really not playing it out. I don't know. Maybe it's just because like there is so much going on with the whole like 
feelings, not facts thing that happens a lot where it's like, well, it doesn't matter if it's true because it's what I believe. So I'm very much in the Janeway camp of like, give me some hard science. Like sure. just because I don't understand how it works doesn't mean that you can't explain how it works. It just means we don't have the knowledge to explain how it works. Right. And, and, yeah, and yeah. And we have so to get there by doing science. Right. Yeah. And so their whole, like they kept like just jiving on her because they were like oh well you just want to figure out how it works i'm like why is that a bad thing why are you guys bragging on her for wanting knowledge and for wanting to understand you know this thing that nearly killed a crew member i don't i don't know i did so like i get the arguments that they were making as far as like on a philosophical level but also i was like i don't i don't like this Y'all are y'all are acting like science isn't important here, or it's not as important as like your your spirits, which with your energy rocks or whatever. Yeah, right. And I get like if that's what you believe, that's totally awesome. But don't impose that on someone else. Right. Well, I mean, and kill someone because you want to impose it on someone else. Just like Wesley and the naked people and the plants and stuff. Yeah, exactly. We have an idyllic society, but if you step on the plants, we're going to have to give you a lethal injection because that's how we maintain law. That is a don't touch the grass sign. Yeah. That you don't, better follow. <laughs> don't touch, don't touch butt tin. You know, that's always the thing in a, in a men's room with a hand dryer. Some smart ass will scratch that off. So don't touch butt or press butt, like press button. It just makes me think of, this is the, <laughs> this is the, this is the don't press butt moment. But we'll stick with help desk holodeck. That's much better because I'm not, I'm going to avoid <laughs> putting the word, the word butt in the title. So, okay. So that takes us to the end of these seven. Let's have a favorite and a least favorite. Go for it. Um, I would say favorite is probably going to be, I'm going to say, Remember, just because I really liked that confrontation with Balana at the end. Same. Um, least favorite, I'm probably going to say, is the shoot, just because it was there and it existed as an episode. It was it was filler for the week. Yeah, I um, it's a close tie for me because uh, again, remember I thought Rock Solid story with a great great writing staff and a great performance by uh, Roxanne uh, Dawson. Um, I'm, I'm jammed between. No, I'm definitely going to go with the shoot, you know, I because otherwise I could say, oh, I thought basics sucked because I hated the setup. Um, but I, I, I liked the bits in it that had to do with um, with Brad Doris performance as Suter. But, yeah, the shoot was like we accomplished nothing. We got no care. You know, we got no character development uh, in a character that that ultimately. Sorry, Garrett, Harry, Kim just didn't really end up with any character at the end of it. Um, so, yeah, kind of kind of Dudsville. So, all right. Well, we've successfully uh, tackled our first quarter of um of Star Trek Voyager. So uh, we will be back next week with not only the finale of Picard, which will be quite a lengthy discussion, but also a quick breakdown, not only of the season, but probably a bit of the series in general. And then we will tackle the next six episodes of Voyager. So thanks for joining. Um, For more information about Starfleet International, please visit the Grand Petoskey on Facebook, Twitter, and a website of the same name. Kay, where do people find you out there in the socials? Um, you can find me on um, Twitter at QT Geek. That's Q underscore T Geek. And on Counter Social at K Quinn. 
Oh, yeah. And as always, you can find me over on Twitter at the C3. Spell it out. Uh, you can find Secret Friends Unite uh, over and, and the Grand Potaski over on our very active Discords channel. Uh, certainly get in touch with us. We would love to have you join us. As mentioned, my lovely wife, April, and I do run the USS Grand Potaski, one of the biggest chapters of Starfleet International, the International Star Trek Fan Club. We're based here in West Michigan, but I'm also responsible uh, for Region 13, which is Michigan and Eastern Canada. If you're listening to the sound of my voice and live in one of those places, please drop me a line uh, at the socials or website of the Grand Petoskey and we can connect you with more trekkers. We met lots of great trekkers uh, down in Kalamazoo, Michigan at the Grand Rapids Comic-Con Spring Show uh, the last couple of days. And I look forward to reaching out to all those people pretty quickly here. So with that, uh, I'm going to tell you as always that sharing is caring and to keep on trucking. And wherever you go, go boldly. This podcast is part of the Secret Friends Unite podcasting network. Visit secretfriendsunite.com for more great shows, articles, news, reviews, and more. Secret Friends Unite podcasts are available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and other podcast services around the world. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, you can join us on Facebook or our new Discord server. Or follow at Secret Friends U on Twitter. Please subscribe to Secret Friends Unite on YouTube and visit our merch store at tpublic.com. Just search Secret Friends Unite. Thanks for listening.